You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to this year's first edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the January the 8th, 2022. And of course, a very happy new year to you all and let's hope that this year is positive, healthy and peaceful for us all. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Colin Holmes, annual readers are Sue Harrington-Spear and a new boy on the block, Rob Cunningham-Snell. And with a name like that, he's a sure winner. We should mention that both Sue and Rob have stepped in at the last minute to help us out as we experience technical uh, problems in preparing the recording this week. Thank you both to us, I think, bless her. We should also thank our colleagues who have worked hard to copy and dispatch the memory sticks to you. And we will repeat any phone numbers at the end of the recording. So, as usual, we begin with headlines. My first headline is, Two Lives Are Lost in Tragedies on the Road. Shock after New Year's Day attack in Bury St Edmunds. And bar owners stay positive in face of rise in Covid cases. Man waited 12 hours for an ambulance. Back to you, Rob. Um, Police have confirmed the deaths of two people, including a woman on the A12 in Suffolk, in separate road tragedies. Emergency services were called to the A12 at Wangford just after 10.30am yesterday to a medical emergency. An East of England ambulance service spokesman said, A community first responder, two ambulances and a senior paradigmic in a support vehicle attended the scene. Sadly, despite the best efforts of all involved, an adult woman was pronounced dead at the scene. Meanwhile, Essex police said yesterday that a man in his 80s had died after a single vehicle crash in West Bergholt. Officers were called to the accident at 7.40am on Monday. It involved a Vauxhall Crossland on the B1508 at the junction with Vinesse Road. Yesterday, Essex police said, sadly, the driver of the Vauxhall, a man in his 80s from Colchester, died at the scene. Yesterday, accident on the a- yesterday's accident on the A12 brought the death toll on Suffolk roads this year to 21, more than double when compared with the same period in 2020 when there were just 10. However, the country faced two national lockdowns and other measures such as working from home to try to curb the spread of coronavirus last year. This meant there were fewer vehicles on the roads during 2020. A market town community has reacted with shock and surprise following a New Year's Day attack. Police officers were called to an address in Abbeygate Street, the town's high street, just after 6am on January 1st. The incident is understood to have happened near the Angel Hill end of the street. Two victims, a man and a woman, suffered minor injuries and police arrested a 24-year-old man at the scene. After being taken to West Suffolk Hospital for minor injuries, the suspect returned to the police investigation centre for questioning. Harry McMenamin of Cricks Road, West Stowe, was later charged with two counts of actual bodily harm and one count of criminal damage to a door in the town. Councillor Julia Wakelam who represents Abbeygate for West Suffolk Council, said it was certainly not what you would expect to happen in Bury St Edmunds, 
You generally think of this as being one of the safest places to live, she said. I send my best wishes to the victims, and I hope they aren't too badly hurt. In relation to the suspected burglary, she stressed how important it is to keep properties safe and lock up properly. Town Mayor Peter Thompson also expressed his absolute shock at what had happened and wanted to stress the town is still one of the safest places to live. He added, as far as I know there's ongoing danger, sorry, as far as I know there's no ongoing danger to the public. We would urge people to go about their daily business and not to change their behaviour in any way. Detective Inspector Brett Harris said, We are at the early stages of our investigation inquiries and are currently on, they are ongoing. However, we are not looking for anyone else in connection and do believe this was an isolated incident and that there is no further risk to the wider public. Officers continue to support both victims. There is no longer a police cordon at the scene. Fingers crossed and let's hope for the best. That's the message from owners of Bury St Edmunds pubs, bars, cafes and nightclubs as the year comes to an end. For many working in the hospitality sector, one of the hardest hit by the ongoing pandemic the past two years have been devastating. Trade has been decimated and even in the run-up to Christmas was still down between 30 and 40% across the industry. But in Bury, a town known for its wealth of hospitality offerings, business owners are remaining optimistic for 2022. We just have to keep our fingers crossed and all keep positive, said Anne-Marie Olmsted, one of the senior management team at the Oaks Barn Pub. Our customers did come out to support us over Christmas. Our clientele is slightly older and it was great for them to get out. It might have been more if we weren't in the situation we are, but they were great and no restrictions in the run-up to New Year was also good news. We all just need to get on with our lives and be positive about what the next few months might hold. Massive delays in reaching patients in need. An ambulance service has apologised to patients after it failed to meet response times, leaving them waiting nearly an hour despite a target time of just 18 minutes. Paramedics should arrive at Category 2 calls, including those to patients suffering from suspected heart attacks, within an average of 18 minutes, according to the NHS target. But in November, the average response time for the East of England ambulance service was 51 minutes. Last night, the service apologised to patients, saying they are under sustained pressure. Families of patients who have been left waiting in recent weeks have told of their anger over the delays, with an 84-year-old man from Ipswich left waiting 12 hours after a fall. His daughter described the wait as absolutely disgusting. The East of England Ambulance Service spokesperson said, We are currently experiencing some of the most significant and sustained pressures in recent years and are really sorry to those patients having to wait longer than we would like as we prioritise urgent and life-saving care. We can reassure all of our patients that the NHS remains open for business and it is vitally important that if people are in serious medical emergency that they call 999. Families of patients who have been left waiting in recent weeks have told of their anger over the delays. One of the major issues is the delay in handover when ambulances reach the hospital and an experienced NHS accident and emergency nurse currently working in Suffolk said the problems are caused by years and years of government underfunding and a catastrophic handling of the pandemic by this government and this needs to be acknowledged. Oh dear. Flooding, heat waves and heavy snowfall, a year of weather extremes, 
Suffolk saw a range of weather extremes throughout 2021, including severe flooding, searing heat and heavy snowfall. It was a wet and chilly January to start the year, with the county being covered in snow just a few weeks into the new year. Forecasters confirmed temperatures over the night of February 10th sorry, plunged to minus 6 degrees in Suffolk, the coldest it had been since the beast from the east in 2018. The conditions also forced more than 200 Suffolk schools to close that week as Storm Darcy battered the UK. But temperatures remarkably picked up in the following days, with the mercury reaching 17 degrees centigrade in Suffolk by the end of February. While the summer did not have a prolonged spell of hot temperatures, there were spells in June and July where people flocked to the seaside to bask in mini heat waves. Some of the warmest temperatures were at the start of September when conditions reached up to 28 degrees centigrade. Autumn saw the arrival of several flood alerts in October, with Southwold Harbour among the areas plunged underwater. There were also a number of flooding instances in Ipswich, with standing water in Sproulton Road and Worsted Road causing treble chaos. Strong winds battered the east of England towards the end of autumn, with storms Arwen and Storm Barra arriving in November and December. However, the first snowfall of the winter came in West Suffolk towards the end of November, with Bowes and Edmonds covered in the white stuff over one evening. Driver shortages and a drop-off in bookings has seen the boss of a Sudbury taxi company warn if business remains bad, there will be a further knock-on effect on those using its services. Patrick Crew of the private hire company Manor Cars said that in the Babra area, more than 200 drivers have left the industry, an issue that is being seen nationwide. Mr Crew said the last 18 months to two years has been difficult, certainly during the first lockdown, where a lot of drivers weren't getting any bookings in the evenings at all. We only started to see a proper recovery back in summer, once lockdown had officially ceased. A lot of the guys in the industry just left. They've got other jobs, or some of the semi-retired guys have just retired, full stop. So apart from Covid, there's also a shortage of drivers. The announcement of Plan B brought cancellations left, right and centre, said Mr Crewe, as the company felt the impact on the travel and hospitality industries. He said, if restaurants start losing bookings, it has a knock-on effect on us. We've seen a 30-40% to drop in bookings, similar to the restaurant industry. Food banks given a Christmas boost thanks to Suffolk Freemasons. Freemasons from Suffolk have made a series of festive grants totalling £12,000 to food banks across the county as part of a nationwide Christmas campaign. The grants are expected to help in excess of 1,300 people in Suffolk with food, meals and hampers over the Christmas period, with food banks predicting unprecedented demand for their services this Christmas following the upheavals of the pandemic, continuing supply chain problems and rising fuel bills. The six local charities, each benefiting from £2,000 grants, are Gatehouse East Anglia in Bowson Edmonds, Ipswich Find, Families in Need, the Waverney Book Food Bank, Stone Market Food Bank, New Life Church Suffolk, and Good Neighbour Scheme in Saxmundham and the Basic Life Charity in Felixstowe. Mike Smith from the Stone Market Food Bank said, We're very grateful to Suffolk Freemasons for their generous grant, which will be an enormous help as we look to support record numbers of people over the Christmas period. They gave us very valuable support during lockdown and it's great that this vital assistance is continuing. Thank you to them. Thanks to them, sorry, we can continue to help people who really need it. 
Founder of Basic Life Charity, Mr Graham Denny, thanked Suffolk Freemasons for their support and said this donation will assist the charity in their support of around 200 people in Phoenixstow area and over the Christmas period. Rick Orme of Suffolk Freemasons added, I am very pleased that we have been able to help our local food banks with their hugely important work over the festive season. We were able to support them throughout the pandemic and we're happy to help during what will be a difficult Christmas for the most vulnerable people in our community. The Brewing Giant raises £2 million for charity. Green King teams have smashed their annual fundraising record for charity partner Macmillan Cancer Support, despite spending much of 2021 in lockdown. More than £2 million has been raised by team members across Green King's 1,600 managed pubs, its breweries in Bury St Edmunds and Dunbar, and support centre teams, making Green King the charity's top fundraising corporate partner this year. The record follows news that earlier this year Green King passed the £10 million milestone of money raised for Macmillan since the partnership began in 2012. Fundraising for the charity has accelerated in recent years with £1 million raised in the first two years of the partnership before going on to pass £3 million in uh, 2017, £5 million in 2019 and then more than doubling that amount in less than three years. Community thanked after attempted cafe break-in. The manager of Bury St Edmunds Cafe has thanked the community for their support after an attempted break-in. The coffee house in Lawson Place, Morton Hall, was targeted in the early hours of last Thursday morning when a kitchen window was smashed. Nothing was taken during the incident, but the window had to be replaced at the cost of the cafe. It comes just two months after the cafe was targeted for the first time in 11 years. Jessica Darnell, manager, said what had happened was disappointing and disheartening and shared concerns over the cost of replacing the window but thanked the community for their support following the incident. We have a great team of customers who have shown us great support, she said. We had, a lo- we had had lovely comments via social media but it's very sad that someone would feel to do this before Christmas. The cafe posted a photo of the smashed window on their Instagram page shortly after the incident caption said on this day there are nhs staff working through the night to give people the booster and save lives all industries worried about another lockdown and try to survive families trying to meet up or missing loved ones that can't be with them then there is someone who thinks they will break into the cafe house again coffee house again the cafe remained open throughout last thursday Bicycle bus four metres long could transport children to school. A bicycle bus is being trailed in a Suffolk town by a charity with the motto More Miles Per Smiles, or More Smiles Per Mile. Bury St Edmunds Rickshaw has loaned the four metre long bike, which is believed to be one of only a couple in the country, with a view to buying its own to transport children to school to cut down on emissions. That's a good idea, isn't it? Mm. If the trial goes well, Libby Ranzetta, one of the founders of Berry Rickshaw, said they would look to raise the £15,000 to purchase one of these bikes from the Netherlands, where they are made. She said, The plan is to encourage active travel to school and reduce car travel to benefit children's health and the environment. We have a bicycle bus on loan from Evesham Adventure Playground Association so we can test whether it's suitable. If it is, we will fundraise for our own bike. We're grateful to Green King for garaging the bike and to St Edmunds Care Limited for buying the children's helmets we need for the trial. 
The bicycle bus embarked on its maiden voyage on December the 23rd, delivering Christmas meals. Currently, Berry Rickshaw volunteers are trying out the bike to put it through its paces. Ms Ranzetta said it can take two adults and seven children pedalling, plus two small children. A Suffolk man who took the law into his own hands and assaulted two youths after warning them to stay away from his van has been given a suspended prison sentence. The youths and their and some friends were leaving a derelict pub near Haverhill at about 10.30pm in June last year when Ipswich Ground Court was told they were approached by Shane Dixon who was aggressive and told them, you'd better not have been looking at my van. One of the youths got into his car and was told by Dixon that there would be trouble if anyone went near his van. He had then punched the youth twice in the face through the open door. The man had suffered a cut lip and Dixon had then held something against his neck, said Christopher Kerr, prosecuting. One of the other men had stayed behind to go to the toilet and was walking towards Haverhill when he was followed by Dixon, who told him, leave my van alone before punching him to the head. The victim dropped his phone and a torch, and Dixon had picked them up and used the torch to hit him in the face and body. As a result of the attack, the youth was taken to hospital and received treatment to a cut on his face. In May last year, Dixon was seen riding a motorcycle through pedestrian gates at Puddlebrook Plainfields in Haverhill by a police officer who told him to stop, said Mr Kerr. Dixon had accelerated and the rear wheel of the motorcycle had gone over the officer's leg after he slipped over. Philip Farr, for Dixon, said his client's son, the client's son's motocross bike had been in his van and he had been concerned over a spate of vehicle break-ins in the area. He said the assault on the police officer wasn't intentional. Dixon, 38, of Butte Court, Haverhill, admitted to offence two offences of assault by beating and common assault on a police officer. He was given an eight-month prison sentence suspended for two years in order to do 100 hours unpaid work. He was also ordered to pay £250 compensation. Amazing. From tub to pub to a very good cause... Green King pubs are helping to reduce plastic waste and raise money for charity with the Tub to Pub initiative. The brewer, which owns the bushel in Newmarket, is asking customers to drop off their used plastic confectionery and biscuit tubs at any Green King's managed pubs, restaurants and hotels, as many of these containers are made from polypropylene, which isn't usually recycled. This results in millions of the tubs going to landfill in, or being incinerated each year. However, Tubs collected by the scheme are taken to a specialist facility where they are recycled and resold. Eight pence is raised for Green King's charity partner, Millium Cancer Support, for each tub. If every tub sold in the UK over the Christmas was donated, it would raise almost £400,000. Excellent. A complete change of subject. A swimming pool in North Suffolk that helps dogs to take to the water has been named the best attraction for pooches in the UK. Canine Dip and Dive in Redgrave near Dis scooped the Days Out category in the Dog Friendly Awards in December. Dog-loving husband and wife Andy Brownlee and Joe Allen have run the pool since August 2017, initially on holding, only holding classes on weekends. However, word soon got around and the couple quickly started taking bookings throughout the week, meaning it became a full-time venture. Canine Dip and Dive also manages venues in Wimbledon, in Wymondham, or is that Wimden? Wimden. Thank you very much. 
Letters in triplicate, please, and in Hertfordshire, <laughs> with a fourth pool to set to open in Malden later this year. Mr Brownlee said the business has helped owners bond with their dogs as well as provide them with a different form of exercise. He said, we're very proud. The fact that we are the best for days out in the whole of the UK is pretty amazing. We're quite a unique business. It's amazing how many dogs can't actually swim, especially short-faced breeds like pugs and Frenchies. But it's such a lovely thing to see a dog go from struggling to swimming. We've built quite a family here of people that come back. We set up the business to help nervous dogs, but it's branched out in some so many different ways. We do weight loss sessions, but also just for fun. There's so many reasons to come. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> do you want to have a go? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Fall from a window recorded among nine never events at Regent's Hospitals in 2021. Somebody falling from a window objects... Objects being left inside a patient and wrong site surgery were among the serious incidents recorded by hospitals in Suffolk and Essex in 2021. Figures obtained from a Freedom of Information request reveal that there were nine never events in inverted commas reported to local NHS Foundation Trusts in 2021. Never events are defined by NHS England as serious incidents that are preventable if national guidance and safety recommendations are followed. There were three never events reported to the West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust in 2021. This trust runs West Suffolk Hospital. At West Suffolk Hospital this year, there was one fall from a poorly restricted window and two incidents of patients retaining a foreign object post-procedure. Window openings in NHS buildings should be restricted to 100 millimetres or less. The one fall at West Suffolk Hospital occurred in July. Retaining an object post-procedure means that during an operation, something is accidentally left behind by those performing it. In March, a stent was retained. A stent is a metal or plastic tube inserted into the lumen of a blood vessel to keep it open. In August, a swab was retained. And swabs can be either surgical or vaginal. According to NHS data, there were three falls from poorly restricted windows and 33 incidents of swabs being retained post-procedure in England from April to October of this year. There were six never events reported to East Suffolk and North Essex NHS Foundation Trust in 2021. This trust runs Ipswich Hospital and Colchester Hospital. In Ipswich and Colchester Hospitals from April to October, there was one misplaced naso or oro gastric tubes and feed administered, one instance of a patient retaining a foreign object post-procedure and four wrong site surgeries. Naso and orogastric tubes are small tubes placed either through the nose, naso, or the mouth, oro, and the end with the tip in the stomach, and end with the tip in the stomach. They can be used for feeding, medication administration, or removal of contents from the stomach. According to the NHS data, there were 101 wrong site surgeries and 21 misplaced naso and orogastric tubes administered in England from April to October. An apprentice from Red Lodge has hit the nail on the head by changing careers and winning a national award from the Institute of Carpenters, the IOC. Spencer Pettit, 27, gained a degree in sports science after high school and after working for two years in sports rehab, he decided to change direction and retrain. 
Spencer decided to move into the carpentry trade and after completing a level three apprenticeship with West Suffolk College, he's just been crowned the best carpentry apprentice in the, con- in the country by the IOC. He picked up the award after being entered into the annual third year student award scheme competition overseen by the IOC, an organisation that helps oversee the standards and trainings of carpenters and joiners based in the UK. Spencer, who works for Trevor Smith Building Limited, was thrilled with the news. He said, I'm lost for words and very honoured to have been given this award. I changed careers as I didn't want to get stuck in an industry that I wasn't enjoying, and it's paid off. Long term, I dream of building my own houses. We will see where it takes me. Winning this award will help my future ambitions. First time busker wows shoppers. A teenage busker wowed shoppers while raising money for a children's home. Frankie Freeman, 14, played her guitar and sang for three hours in Bergen Edmonds Town Centre just before Christmas. She hoped to raise money to buy presents she spotted on an Amazon wish list by youngsters at Bergen Edmonds Children's Home. Frankie expected to raise around £30, but proved such a hit. She raised £317 and nearly bought the whole wish list. (laughs) I was really nervous at first, but people were so kind and I raised £80 in the first hour, said Frankie, who goes to King Edward VI School. I did a mixture of covers such as Santa Baby, Kiss Me by Ed Sheeran, and Somewhere Only We Know by Lily Allen, and some of my own songs. Thanks to everyone who donated. And our editor said, well done, Frankie, what a star you are. Care Home celebrates a prestigious national award win. A care home in Bury St Edmunds has been named the Care Home of the Year in a prestigious national award ceremony. Care UK's Davis Court on Shakers Lane received the National Care Award for the outstanding level of care its team provides through its whole home approach to supporting residents to lead independent, active and fulfilling lives. Sally Shadbolt, home manager at Davis Court, said, We would not have won this award without their hard work and dedication, and I would like to take this opportunity to say thank you to each and every person for all that they do to make Davis Court a wonderful place to call home. The awards acknowledge and reward excellence and innovation in new care home management, operation and delivery. Judges commended Davis Court for its commitment to resident well-being throughout the pandemic identifying the team's dedication to ensure residents remained well-connected with their loved ones, while also building and maintaining meaningful relationships within the home. They are regular virtual activities with the local school children and entertainment in the home's garden. And now for some letters. Janet Douglas from Framlingham writes about the Covid response badly organised. I received my letter to get a jab in mid-October. I'm 77 years old and have contacted 1,119,026 times to try and get a jab date here in Framlingham. That's a lot of time. Daily we are being told to get a jab. I even went to the distribution centre behind the pharmacy to see if they had any unused vaccine one evening. No luck. And now it seems now impossible to get any home testing kits. Because it was so impossible, I thought I'd better order some online. The NHS ones are free. I had to pay over £40 to get 10 to have by me. The whole thing has been so badly organised. I blame them for any person who, having tried to get a jab and failed, ends up with Covid. Some people never learn. Sir... Boris Johnson is now learning the price of climbing into bed with the wrong sort of people 
As his Brexit project slumps to its knees, his public popularity plummets. Meanwhile, his Conservative friends and colleagues sense blood and sharpen their knives. It's sad, but he's asked for it. Wrong bed, wrong people. It always catches up in the end. Some people never learn. Johnson now needs to retire to a place where he can reconcile himself with the fact that misleading his followers with lies, deceit, obfuscation and buffoonery has compounded his legacy as Britain's most irresponsible and damaging Prime Minister ever, probably. It would take decades of hard work by grown-up statesmen and women to repair the damage done. But is the party really over? We've all had to endure Boris pretending to be Winston Churchill and treating the public like a cub troop. It has worked well for him, playing the Winston card, and now we have Liz Truss doing the same thing, striking various Margaret Thatcher poses for the cameras. It matters not one jot what we think of Churchill and Thatcher, because for the benefit of the point I make here, Churchill and Thatcher were both original politicians of distinct and individual character. What we have in Boris and Liz are copycats, devoid of personality and character of their own, and consequently devoid of integrity, particularly the unashamed Brexit flip-flopping opportunities trust. She's so transparent, I can see right through her. That was a Mr. Richard Hare from Woodbridge. Mm. <laughs> and Don Black from Dis writes, Always a man of peace. Sir, as far as I know, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu never came to East Anglia, but did much to raise respect for the Anglican <coughs> Church everywhere in difficult circumstances. In South Africa, its trouble centred on prejudice and violence. Here they include too few people in the pews at church services, except when we need them for marriages and funerals. My wife and I spent time in South Africa before and after apartheid. Occasionally, however, we received invites to stay on isolated farms, where we saw and heard plenty of evidence for fear. Perhaps we were lucky, but nearly everyone we met, black or white, was friendly, and if we got lost, put us on the right way. A happy coincidence in 1994 was reaching a sign saying, Welcome to Alice, shortly after the birth of our first granddaughter, Alice. It was a pretty little town, and there we bought a set of clothes for her. Much later we learned that Desmond Tutu, when a young clergyman, taught at a seminary at Alice and averted a disturbance in a nearby university. He was always a man of peace. New Year wishes for newspapers. Or New Year wishes for newspapers, my apologies. In praise of paper, yes, the newspaper you are reading right now, or I'm reading right now to you, a newspaper with that certain something between your fingers, that special texture of this, your chosen newspaper, a partnership between hand and eye to read, learn and savour. There has been a slow evolution of thousands of years in making of our modern-day newspapers. Not for us the cold computer or iPhone screen providing some with news and or entertainment, no, that warm feel of life on the page. Trusted, enjoyed, long appreciated, although sometimes controversial. Endlessly reflecting our shared regional values with stories of people from our area and more. In vivid colour, showing us re real life in our region today. A familiar friend, in good times and not so good times, such as now fighting the ravages of the pandemic. How many people read this remember the broadsheet before today's tabloid-sized paper? That revolutionary change in our reading habits was brought about in East Anglia during the mid-1990s. Yet greater memories stirring our pot of nostalgia for times past. Today, there are very few examples of daily broadsheet newspapers, but a greater number each Sunday. 
So he is hoping that this newspaper, that's the EADT, of course, continues to flourish, catering for our every need, well into the new year and beyond. That's from Jim Mitchell in Carton Colville. And Stephen Ling of Whitton Market writes uh, a letter about echoes from the past. Sir, he writes, in the process of family history research, I happened to come across a long letter to the editor and a copy of the Berry and Norwich Post dated September the 14th, 1803, regarding people's resistance to inoculation against smallpox. It made me realise how little human nature has changed in the last 218 years. In order not to bore your readers with the whole letter, I am enclosing the first paragraph, followed by the final sentence, encapsulating the writer's fears, but also his hopes for the future, which we now know have been fulfilled. Let us hope that the same will be true in our fight against COVID-19. Dear Sir, It is greatly to be regretted that prejudice is so firmly bent against inoculation for the cowpox, even in towns and villages at this time infested with the smallpox, though in these very places the former has been successfully practised and the latter proved rapidly fatal. The objections made are too frivolous to require notice, but from some quaint circumstance or other, a false bias is too apt to swerve weak and discerning minds, and in matters of this kind to outweigh conviction, although threatened with a dangerous alternative. Facts alone are sufficient proofs of the benefits arising from this invaluable discovery of inoculation of the cowpox. It must be expected that this consummate ignorance and obstinacy will give a check to the grand design of eradicating the smallpox. Yet it is to be hoped that a future generation will see it accomplished. Visitors are met by eyesore development. It's easy to see why the residents of Berry St Edmunds, Ipswich Street and the locale were against the Tafe End development, with a massive block overshadowing all the local streets. The Ipswich Street end of the development is an absolute disgrace. Rubbish, weeds, hoardings appear to be hanging off and with graffiti on them. The whole end of the development is an eyesore. When visitors to the town have to squeeze through what looks like a tip on their way from the station to the town centre, it puts a very bad image on Berry, Berry. never mind what they think of the building itself. That's from Ken Apps in Berry St Edmunds. Colin Rossini has obviously got a a big problem. He writes about the honours system being embarrassing. Sir, the absurdity of the honours system is never better exemplified than by the awarding of a gong to the government's chief scientific advisor, Chris Whitty, in the middle of a pandemic. What other nations butter up political favours in this fashion? Gong should be abolished, along with a complete scale-down of the royal family to a more realistic and affordable level. It's just a tuck shop that tarnishes what remains of the UK as a fair and representative democracy. It is embarrassing. Absolutely. (laughs) A very happy Anne and Michael Tarode wrote, Thanks for prompt pothole filling. After my letter, Very Free Press, December 17th, regarding the pothole in Bull Road, Pakenham, I am pleased to report that the hole has been promptly filled in. So many thanks, so many thanks, Very Free Press. It seems publication of the letter must have caused action. Also, thank you, Highway Suffolk, for making roads safer for all of us. I have to say, I've got a few potholes around I can tell you so about. So. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, there's another letter here from Ashley Mayer, who lives in Melton, 
and Ashley writes about help to keep schools open. Sir, a Suffolk County Council considers whether to close schools or switch to part-time schooling because of COVID. I hope there will be a huge community effort to help schools stay open. I suggest that retired teachers and those with current DBS certificates can help schools in a variety of ways. I will be asking my local secondary school if they would appreciate help in invigilating mock exams, etc. And now finally, one last letter from Mrs A Crawford, Barry Linham Drive, Newmarket, who writes about the council deserves praise for lights. Newmarket Town Council often gets negative remarks and reviews about various things happening or not happening around the town. With a positive view of the decorations and lights in the town, I feel this year they most definitely got it right. Newmarket is much nicer than Bury St Edmunds, which, in my opinion, made very little effort to bring cheer to the town. For once, a big thank you to all those involved in this year's festive decorations. And now we move on to some features. So, Rob, you have the first feature. Thank you. Five Suffolk locations that inspired famous Christmas ghost stories. Everyone has their own Christmas traditions, and for some, it is telling ghost stories. Some of the most popular Christmas ghost stories were authored by Montague Rhodes, M.R. James, a man who grew up in Suffolk and returned to the county on many occasions. James was born in Kent in 1862, but was raised in Great Livermere, near Bury St Edmunds, where his father was rector at the local church. He went on to become an academic and to write short, spooky stories. The stories of M.R. James have never been out of print since they first appeared in 1904 and have been repeatedly adapted for Christmas TV. This year, a new adaptation of his short story, The Mezzotint, aired on the BBC Two on Christmas Eve. Simon Loxley, uh, a graphic designer and long-time M.R. James fan, says James was inspired by the country's atmospheric landscapes and wild coastlines. In a new book called A Geography of Horror, Mr. Loxley sets out the Suffolk locations that are the backdrop for the spooky tales. Alborough. In A Warning to the Curious, M.R. James renames Alborough as Seabra. <clears throat> the disguised seaside resort town which James knew well plays host to an archaeologist who unearths an ancient Anglo-Saxon crown and is pursued by its ghostly guardians. Features of the town that we know today, for instance, the White Line Hotel, known as the Bear in the story, are still visible, but other details of Aubra, such as the train station and several windmills, have since vanished. Felixstowe Ferry. Old Felixstowe and Felixstowe Ferry play host to one of M.R. James's best-known stories, O Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad. Again, the town has been renamed as Burnstow this time, but James wrote in his preface, I had Felixstowe in mind. The popular story had twice been adapted for television by the BBC. However, despite the story being set in Suffolk, the 1968 adaptation called Whistle and I'll Come to You was filmed near Waxham in Norfolk. Then Great Livermere, M.R. James's childhood home, features in the last work he ever published called A Vignette. The semi-autobiographical story is set at the rectory in Great Livermere, now called Livermere Hall, which is where James grew up. In the story, a boy becomes increasingly scared of the wood called the plantation next door for some unknown reason. The story is widely believed to have been based on a genuine experience of James's childhood. Melton and Bredfield? Felixstowe again features under the pseudonym Burnstown in the story 
the tractate Midoth. But two more rural locations may also feature. The story focuses on a mysterious black-clad clergyman who is covered in cobwebs and his search for a book. Part of the story is a chase from a country house in a village called Brettfield, thought to be Breadfield, and also a train station around three miles away, thought to be Melton. And then finally, Thorpe Ness, described only as being set in Suffolk, near the coast. Mr Loxley believes the short story Rats is actually set in Thorpe Ness. He argues that it is only here that a portion of road follows the coast, as James describes in his story. The short story is one of the few M.R. James stories that has not been adapted for TV. Very free press reporters have been taking a look back at 2021 and picking out some of the news highlights. This week it's January to June. Next week we'll review July to December. So this is the review of the year January. New year, new lockdown. We started 2021 in the first throes of a new lockdown in the face of rising cases of COVID-19. Shops were shut, working from home was the standard and education moved from the classroom to online. In January, popular Berry St Edmunds Bar and Restaurant, the LP, announced its permanent closure after over 10 years as a result of the impact of the coronavirus restrictions. Meanwhile, over 80s started to question when they would receive their COVID vaccinations as the rollout of the government's programme appeared to be slower in the east than in other parts of England. Berry and Stowmarket MP Joe Churchill spoke out to reassure residents, saying all over 80s should receive their first dose by February 15th. MP Matt Hancock, incumbent Health Secretary, said, If you're waiting, we will get to you soon. Green King announced its plan to rename the Black Boy in Guildhall Street due to racism concerns. The brewery said it was braced for a range of views, but the decision was an important step in its journey to become a truly anti-racist organisation. When the move was announced, it attracted more than 1,000 comments on the Berry Free Press Facebook page, many questioning and others praising the brewery's decision. Thetford mum of three, Marie Flowers, called for urgent changes to NHS dentistry after she was unable to find an NHS dentist for her children. We should be entitled to NHS dentist care for our children, but there are no places available anywhere. This issue needs to be addressed with some urgency by the NHS, said Mari. Finally, tributes were paid to the last surviving female World War II pilot who had died aged 103. Eleanor Wadsworth, who had two sons, five grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren, flew a number of planes during the war, including Spitfires. Well, after those two uh, features, I have some more general news for you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, a mother of three working as a waitress has fulfilled her childhood dream to publish a book about a magical fantasy world. Lisa Carter was six when she decided she wanted to be an author. Now the mum, from Hawley, has published a book that is being used in primary school lessons in Suffolk and for sale in Waterstones. Lisa said, I always wanted to be an author. My granddad used to make up lovely stories in his head for us all the time. After he passed away, we found ghost stories that he had written, and when my nan passed in August, we found several poems she had written. It seems the rhyming and story writing has always been part of the family. After my nan died in August, we were really so close. I realised how short life is, and if you want to do something, you should do it. The 35-year-old former Backton Middle School and Stow-Up and High School pupil 
has now branched out to write about the different characters who live inside an oak tree. Her magical fantasy children's fiction book, Boglaboo Heights, Boglaboo Heights, sorry, has captured the imagination of primary school children in Hawley, with it being read to children during forest school sections. Lisa's uncle, Tony King, also from Hawley, drew the illustrations. Tony said, I'm so thrilled for Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure to see her book on sale, and I'm so proud. I know Lisa was offered an illustrator by her publishers, and I'm so delighted she asked me to be involved with her book. It's been a delight to be involved. Boglaboo Heights is aimed at children aged up to 10, while Lisa plans to extend her writing for children up to 14. Boglaboo Heights is only the start of what I hope to be a big series. I have already penned two more seasonal stories and have many more ideas, said Lisa. A man has been arrested on suspicion of assault following an attack in Sudbury, which left one man needing hospital treatment. Officers received reports of an alleged assault in the North Street Tavern at about 10.30pm on Tuesday, December 28th. A spokesman for Suffolk Police said a male in his 50s was hit over the head by a glass bottle, causing it to bleed. He received treatment at West Suffolk Hospital. A male in his late 40s has been arrested today on suspicion of assault and he has been taken to Bury St Edmunds Police Investigation Centre for questioning where he remains. On a cheerful note, businesses that started up in Suffolk in 2021. Despite starting the year in lockdown, many businesses opened in Suffolk during 2021, bringing a a variety of new shops and delivery options to the country. Here are just a few of the new businesses. Um, Luna House Pre-Loved and Vintage Boutique. The vintage and pre-loved shop was opened in Bury St Edmunds in April by Anne Hawes, Jill Beeson, Helen Copeland and Amanda Shering. Then there's Gladys and George. Is selling clothing and accessories. Gladys and George opened in Mildenhall in May after it was launched online during the coronavirus lockdown. The House of Heritage it started as a way to make some extra money during university by Tom Duff's passion for vintage interiors saw him open his first shop in 2021. House of Heritage joined the business scene in St Edmunds Town Centre when it opened in Garland Street in October. Jamie's Meet Inn the popular butcher shop, which already has a store in Sudbury, expanded by opening a second site in Haymail in April. Speaking in March, owner Jamie Towles said, We already deliver to a number of Haverhill customers on Fridays who often say they wish we were closer. There are currently no butcher shops in Haverhill and we have already had some great feedback from customers since we announced our new opening, including praise from the council. And finally, Tool Station. The DIY chain Tool Station opened a new store in Sudbury in December. The opening of the store created seven new jobs in the area and the shop provides essential products to local trade and DIY customers. Excellent. As Christmas becomes a memory, the time will come to take down the decorations and dispose of the tree. So in Suffolk, if you want to recycle a small Christmas tree, you can place it in your standard curbside compost bin to be collected with the rest of the green waste. However, if your tree trunk is more than six centimetres in diameter, more letters, please. How many inches is six centimetres? <laughs> Any idea? Four, no? Four. Silence all around. You will need to take it to one of the <laughs> county's recycling centres. Uh, I'm of the generation where I still use feet and inches. <laughs> they, they can be found in 11 places across the county, which can be at www.suffolkrecycling.org.uk forward slash 
where to recycle forward slash recycling centres. Ooh, that's a long one. Have you got I, that? I will repeat it later. In North Essex, Tendering Council will collect Christmas trees left alongside recycling bins in addition to those inside them. While in Colchester, they need to be sawn up and placed in the compost bin. I will re- re- repeat that uh, email address later. Later, okay. Um, the future is looking up for a church after a substantial donation led to the publication and sale of a book which explores the origins of 150 small wooden medieval carvings on its ceiling. The carvings had barely been visible from the floor of All Saints Church in Gaisley, but a donation made in the will of a local man, Jack Marsh, when he died in 2006, helped bring the artworks into focus when a scaffold was erected to use the £30,000 sum for extensive repairs. Upon climbing the scaffold with her daughter, former church warden Maggie Pugh saw the carvings up close, and word then began to spread due to the rarity of such images in churches since Henry VIII and Oliver Cromwell's destruction of the religious idols in the 16th century. I'd seen a few of them when uh, the scaffold was up years earlier, but it was only when Simon photographed all of them in detail more recently that we realised just how interesting they were and how many we had. We didn't realise the historical significance of that time either and just how much they detail medieval village life. When we saw them all up close, we were amazed because the craftsmanship is incredible. Agreement has been reached over the funding for roads for a new multi-million pound public service hub in Bury St Edmunds. The project, estimated to cost somewhere between £91 million and £132 million and set to open in 2025, has moved a step closer after technical agreements were signed. Formal planning permission has now been issued following the backing of West Suffolk Council's planning committee in August 2020. The hub will bring together public bodies like council, police, health, library and citizens' advice services under one roof at the former depot site in Olding Road, as well as a new leisure centre and business space. A war of words between Newmarket Town Council and transport giant Network Rail has been raging ahead of a third costly inquiry into the future of the town's much-used Weatherby Rail Foot Crossing. The council is fighting to keep open the crossing, which it sees as a vital link between the two sides of the town, while Network Rail wants to close it for safety reasons. The next round of the battle is scheduled for February the 1st, almost a year on from the last public hearing, when campaigners in in favour of keeping the crossing open celebrated victory after planning inspector Mark Yates sided with the town council's case that the crossing had always been a route and declared the crossing a restricted byway. But far from accepting the inspector's ruling, Network Rail has challenged it, submitting a 32-page document containing 14 appendices, which, according to Newmarket Town Clerk, Cathy Whitaker, include a number of new pieces of evidence. Network Rail have nowhere, <coughs> excuse me, nowhere explained why this evidence is only being disclosed now, over a year since the previous nine-day inquiry concluded, she said. The delay is considerable and unjustified, particularly in the context of the inquiry proceedings that have already led us to incur significant costs, both in terms of time and resources. The last remaining Suffolk middle schools are proposed to shut in 2023, closing the final chapter on the move to two-tier education that began more than a decade ago. Unity Schools Partnership has announced it is planning to close Wesley Middle School and Horringer Court Middle School in Bury St Edmunds in August next year 
due to a fall in pupil numbers. The Trust has said if the proposals go ahead, they aim to offer a chance of redeployment to all 63 staff at Wesley Middle and 34 staff at Horringer Court Middle. These middle schools, both rated good by Ofsted, are currently part of an all-through system with Tolgate Primary School and County Upper School, both in the town. On January the 5th, Unity launched a public consultation on plans to shop Wesley and Horringer Court Middles and extend the age ranges at County Upper and Tolgate Primary, bringing it in line with the two-tier system for in the rest of the town and county. A drink driver is banned after car crash. A drink driver who was involved in a two-car crash has been banned from being behind the wheel for over two years. Jennifer Jarvis, 38, of Birch Gardens, Badwell Ash, appeared before Suffolk Magistrates Court, where she admitted driving with excess alcohol after the crash in Badwell Ash last Monday. She was banned for 28 months and given a 12-month community order with rehabilitation activity, an alcohol treatment requirement and 150 hours unpaid work. Homeowner gutted following light vandalism. A homeowner said he was left gutted after his fundraising Christmas lights were broken by vandals. Roy Cook of Western Close Feltwell has been putting up the lights outside his house for the last 20 years to raise money for West Suffolk Hospital charity, My Wish. He started fundraising after his wife Ava fell ill and received amazing support at the Bury St Edmunds Hospital. But last Tuesday, Roy tried to turn the lights on and discovered half of them were not working as they had been snipped. We are coming to the end of our recording, but I would just like to ask you to continue listening because after this podcast, we will include a reading of the Transport East Strategy document for East Anglia. So please continue to listen after this podcast is finished. So now we'd like to acknowledge uh, the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and the Newmarket Journal, from whose pages all our items have been taken. The phone numbers, Suffolk Police 101, quoting crime number 37 slash 92 slash 22. Crime Stoppers 0800 555 111 and that nasty email address if you're worried about your the size of your Christmas tree trunk is www.suffolkrecycling.org.uk forward slash where to recycle forward slash recycling centres. So now News Talk will be back again next week. So from Sue and Rob, Colin and Mary, it's goodbye. Have a happy and healthy and safe new year from Rob and me especially. Bye-bye. Goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided 
under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.